This podcast is proudly supported by Drama Victoria. Consider becoming a member today to take advantage of the many member benefits. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Bunurong people. We pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are lucky enough to be joined by Scott Middleton and Mandy Ellison, two of the creatives behind the VCE playlisted show Hamlet, a Comedia Tragedy. Scott is the founder and artistic director of She Oak Productions, with a career spanning theatre, film and TV globally. A Federation University BA acting graduate with a master's from RADA, London, Scott specialises in Commedia dell'arte and the Suzuki method. He has produced shows like Midsummer and Hamlet and teaches acting at Federation University. His recent work includes performances at La Mama, Theatre Works and on Warney. And maybe, just maybe, we went to uni together. So I feel pretty chuffed to be talking to him today. Mandy Ellison has over 25 years of experience as a VCE drama and theatre studies teacher, and she now designs and directs sets for Shio Productions, including Hamlet. With qualifications from Melbourne University and a specialisation in Shakespearean teaching, she's directed significant productions, including Australia's amateur premiere of Matilda the Musical. Mandy's passionate about Shakespeare's transformative power and has also directed Two Gents and Midsummer for Shio. Shio Production presents a unique take on on Shakespeare's Hamlet with a Commedia dell'arte twist set in 1939 Circus Belly in Copenhagen, Denmark. Amidst the golden age of circus entertainment and the tense prelude to World War II, this adaptation sees Hamlet's tragic story unfold in a circus setting, leading to a climax where characters, the circus, and Denmark itself are left in ruins. Without any further ado, I bring you Scott Middleton and Mandy Ellison. Without any further ado, I welcome you to the podcast, Scott and Mandy. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Nick. That's no there because yeah. it, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you articulate the performance style of this work? And if possible, can you explain the conventions used in this style and how they enhance the performance style of the work? This is Shakespeare meets Commedia. Mm. Yeah, um, well, we've uh, applied as we've done in uh, two previous shows. We are marrying uh, Shakespeare's script and some of the conventions of Elizabethan theatre with the performance style of Commedia dell'arte. And I'm going to let Scott explain a little bit about the Commedia side of it because this is his baby. Yeah, well, the previous two shows, Two Dance and Midsummer, we um, explored yeah the combination of the Commedia dell'arte style with the, with the Shakespearean text, obviously being two of Shakespeare's comedies. This time with this project, uh, because that worked very well for us, we we're super happy with how that turned out with both of those shows. We thought, what happens now if we apply the Commedia style to a tragedy? Uh, so... We took on, yeah, the script of Hamlet um, to, to see how that can work. It's been a challenge. It's been really tough because it just doesn't lend itself as well uh, to um, the comedia conventions uh, as the comedy, as Shakespeare's comedies do. They marry so beautifully. So we really had to work hard to, to find any avenue we could um, to implement that, com that comedia style. And obviously with this one, the concept originally was that the comedia performance style itself would melt away as the play progresses to symbolise that descent uh, of the characters in Hamlet, the circus and the country of Denmark's um, descent as well. So um, having that style be established at the start quite strongly and then having it fade away as the play progresses 
is all new for us and we're super thrilled with with how it's come together and so by doing so uh we found that not only does it highlight the comedic elements but it also uh brings out the tragic side of the story as well and has a beautiful mix of both Great. Are there any specific conventions of those styles that you're using? Are you using direct audience address or your stock characters? Are you having um, any other elements of Renaissance theatre or Commedia? Uh, are they really evident in the work? Yes, they are. So initially uh, what we what we did with the Commedia style was start with the stock characters and workshopped with the actors the different uh, characters and how those characters might apply. So uh, Scott had some thoughts initially about which of the characters from Hamlet might be associated with a certain Commedia character. And as the actors explored the conventions of movement and voice in the style, um, they started to workshop which of the Commedia characters would drive the representation of their character. For example, the idea of uh, Capitano um, as the uh, braggart, um, bold, uh, strong captain, but when is faced with some kind of adversity, will immediately sort of drop into a state of fear and panic and then try and cover up his tracks and be, you know, full of bravado. So we felt that really fitted with the idea of Claudius and the actor Lockie has explored that, but also taken um, elements of some of the other Commedia characters. So we're not doing the Commedia character conventions in their pure form. Uh, it's about selecting aspects of those conventions to see how they serve the purpose of each of the characters. Um, other conventions of Elizabethan theatre, well, actually the way Shakespeare's written the script, the scenes flow as actors leave the stage, the next scene starts, there's no kind of, oh, let's stop and wait for the scene. It just flows one into the other. Um, there is direct audience address, there's asides, there's soliloquies, all of which, of course, are um, implied in the script as well. Great, fabulous. So there's conventions, really clear conventions from both. But have you uh, included any other conventions of theatre styles at any point? Do you feel like you've brought in magic realism or realism or surrealism or absurdism or anything like that? Or is the two major theatre styles that are quite evident in the work, Elizabethan slash Renaissance and Commedia? I think, um, and Scott, you can um, verify this, but in the, the nature of Hamlet, Hamlet himself is a clown, but has already lost a lot of that comedic quality at the beginning and probably his emotional journey has more realism in his portrayal, which is juxtaposed against the heightened um, exaggeration of the other characters. So I guess it makes um, Hamlet's pain and his dilemma and his mental state kind of more obvious um, than if we played him in a super exaggerated way. Scott, what do you think about your portrayal of Hamlet in that way? Yeah, exactly that. Um, it's weird for me performing that role in terms of sitting outside of the style. Uh, it was a choice that was made early on conceptually for me that um, the Commedia 
conventions that Mandy's mentioned or actually yeah, fade away as the play progresses. Um, but Hamlet sort of has already had that stripped away as he is trying to grapple with his grief um, and the challenges that are presented with him and what he's asked to do um, and what he's grappling with. So I have elements of that, but it's a little more subtle in, in the physicality. And as Mandy's saying, does lend itself a bit more to, to the naturalism. And as he's an anchor for a lot of the action of the play, um, it does provide sort of uh, something for the audience to hold on to um, amidst the high physicality and, and um, you know, comings and goings and, and highly physical action. Um, there is a contrast there that, that's, I think, quite interesting um, from outside to watch and interesting for me inside to play as well. So the interesting flip on that is, you know, when Hamlet chooses to present himself as mad in whatever format that is, that's probably the time when we see behaviour that is outside of normality, as we would call it. However, it's real in terms of the way Hamlet is um struggling with his mental state so it's still not in a comedic form although it is outside reality in terms of what we might say is normal behavior that makes sense to me um so uh, how do the actors use their expressive skills to communicate their characters and enhance this performance style can you think of one or two examples of how specific actors use their specific expressive skills in moments in the show um yes look i think um, obviously, the um, heightened and, and highly exaggerated use of gesture, um, specific movements that Scott has taught the actors that belong to the Commedia characters, and an example of that would be the character of Polonius. Um, one of the, the dilemmas we had early in the piece was we have five actors, but there were a range of characters, and they're all on stage at you know, sort of any one time and we really couldn't uh, place one person as the character of Polonius. So the decision was made to multi-role that character so there's a convention. Um, and to do that, the actors had to, um, first of all, learn the base commedia character, which was the character of Pedrolino. And Pedrolino has a particular walk and particular gestures and physicality and attitude. So once they had that, then as a group of actors, they explored what were the commonalities that they could each bring so that the representation of Polonius was consistent. And so that came down to um, getting the walk, the little uh, skip that he has, um, and also vocal mannerisms. There are particular vocal mannerisms that have evolved even just recently. Uh, yeah. this, there's this lovely kind of <laughs> sort of sound yeah. um, that started with one and then everyone else has picked it up in their portrayal. So it does become quite consistent, even though... They're all very physically different. The character, to me, comes across really clearly. That's one of our, actually, we use it as one of our warm-ups as well to unite us and bring us together before a show. We, we do a Polonius check-in. So we check in with that voice and that character to make sure that we're all sort of, you know, roughly in, you know, on the same page with the portrayal of that character, with the voice and the physicality um, and everything, our expressive skills to, to present that character in particular. Yeah, that's yeah. an ex excellent example of Polonius. We've heard a little bit about the um, Claudius as El Capitano and your kind of realistic portrayal. Um, there was another character you wanted to talk about, Mandy? 
Um, I was going to mention the fact that because we have a transformation of character, it's not all the way through, but we do use that convention. And one of the things that Sion does is she has to transform between Horatio, the character of Horatio, the character of Ophelia, and the character of Polonius. So um, there's a great example, I think, to be able to watch how she uh, changes her body posture for each, has a very clear stance and physical uh, portrayal of the character through the body posture, um, vocal tone, and also the rhythm and pace of her voice to distinguish between each of those three characters. So we have a bunch of dramatic elements, Mandy. I think you know them. You may know them better than you know anything else in the world, uh, how long you've been teaching these dramatic elements, but how are we using the dramatic elements of mood and rhythm and tension specifically in non-naturalistic ways in this piece? All right. So I guess the mood, I mean, the, the manipulation of mood is in, in a variety of ways, obviously the use of comedy and the irony of having comic moments around uh, actions and themes that are not so comic. So we've got that kind of little juxtaposition going on there. Um, tension is developed, I guess, in terms of Hamlet's arc as he struggles to relate to the people around him. In particular, you know, he's really struggling with uh, the acceptance of his mother marrying his uncle and also the duplicity of his uncle when he finds out from his dead father that um, Claudius has committed murder. So there's a lot of tension as Hamlet is trying to work out what he is going to do and how he's going to manage it. And so over the course of the whole play, of course, the ghost has asked him to seek revenge and Hamlet doesn't. He finds different ways of not doing the thing that he was asked to do, and that is to kill Claudius. So there's a lot of tension in Hamlet's internal state of what he maybe morally sees as right or wrong, his need to uh, be loyal to his father, um, he's, he's questioning his mother, he's questioning the world around him, his circus world, he's lost his humour, his laugh, everything is upside down for him, but the world goes on. And then he's, you know, really, he's really in a um, dilemma about that. So I think the tension is happening because we've got that juxtaposition of his internal state, the need for revenge, and the fact that people are doing things around him that he thinks are trivial and pointless. And we were talking with the students today in the Q and A after the show um, about exactly that. You know, the 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 journey we take an audience on um, in terms of this mood, where we have beautifully dramatic scenes. You know, um, you know the scene between Hamlet and Gertrude um, after he kills um, Polonius is is so intense. But we have comedic moments that break up that tension. Not only do they heighten the comedic style we're playing in, but they also bring a stronger sense of uh, tension to that tragedy that the script is 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 dealing us. Um, like we're asking a lot of our audience and our actors to to make those jumps between the comedy and the tragedy, but I think we've crafted it in a way that it makes both of those stronger. So the comedy comes through in those 
comic moments and the tragedy is heightened by them as well. So um, there's a beautiful contrast to, to the mood there um, throughout the whole piece and more and more so as it descends to the, the tragic ending um, and that comedy is melting away. Um, it's There's still elements of, of lightness that peek through and give it a beautiful nuance. I think also, Nick, um, when we talk about the rhythm of the play, uh, Scott and I spent a long time before we started judiciously editing the script so that we could find that rhythm and flows. The focus is really on Hamlet and Hamlet's journey. So anything that was extraneous to that, any characters that were subplots or or were re more relevant to an Elizabethan audience, we kind of removed and, uh, you know, another convention we've used where there was a, a very kind of long speech by a messenger explaining what Hamlet was doing and where he was going, we've distilled it down to four words. It's it's like a telegram. Um, get the point, move forward, so that we're actually moving as we get into what is Act 4 and 5, we're moving the play through quicker, um, leading to that tragic end. Mm. And you've spoken about the flow of the show, how the scenes move from one to the other uh, quite rapidly, and that would also help in building that tension and, and really clarify the rhythm of the work as being something that's kind of un unstopping. It keeps going. It builds and builds and builds to that wonderful climax. Yes. Um, speaking of climax, the three Cs, what about the dramatic elements of contrast, conflict and climax? How are you manipulating those in ways that move beyond reality of life as it is lived, as the study design wishes us so deeply to know? Every, everything, as we've said, is is very heightened. So the conflict of in, the internal conflict of characters is represented through their heightened physical gestures and reactions to the things that are, are happening around them. Um, there's conflict all the way through because all of the characters are in conflict with Hamlet or Hamlet is in conflict with all of the yeah. characters. Um, there is there is nothing that he finds uh, helpful or workable in his world. Uh, so the, the non-naturalistic ways, I guess we've explored that, is they don't have normal dialogue and say hey I'm really upset oh are you great let's talk about it uh, there's a lot of uh, physical use of space where the movement of characters and the placement of characters indicates uh, the where where that tension is for example you know a character kind of stepping forward and coming down and sharing a little bit more with the audience so the audience is then oh that's that's what's going on for you but then that character sort of stepping back into the play and continuing on so that we've got that bit of push me, pull you of are you are you here or not here as an audience? Um, in terms of climax, probably the most uh, relevant or logical thing I can think of is at the end of the play. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Oh, no, don't do it. So many deaths. <laughs> um, we, we have this kind of sudden massive... A moment where everyone kind of dies within a minute, yeah. <laughs> um, which could have been done as a comedy, but we've decided not. Yes. So it is quite, you know, um, by that stage, everything has been stripped back. And on Hamlet's death, the actors who have played Claudius and Gertrude and uh, Laertes, who are all lying on the floor dead, 
they the actors stand up, they remove a piece of their costume and they lay that on the, the floor and as they exit, they dismantle the set to symbolise the destruction of what has just happened, the destruction of the circus, of Circus Ballet, and also the representation of the destruction coming with the start of uh, World War II and the impact that is going to have on Denmark not long after when Germans occupy that country. Wow, so quite a powerful ending to this play. Mm. Yeah, great climax. Yeah. Yes. Lots of climax. Yes, and a beautiful yes. piece of um, music to kind of yeah. heighten that as well. Yeah. We've talked throughout this conversation about the contrast of style to, between Hamlet and the other kind of Commedia-style characters that are going to be present in the work and the internal conflict that Hamlet is going through that Scott's representing through um, his acting, through the expressive skills. Uh, do you think conflict is ever manifested in ways that move beyond reality or in non-naturalistic ways? Do you, is there is there movement or music or maybe other ways that cl- uh, conflict is represented? Because it's a play about conflict. I thought there may well be. We do have the play within the play yeah. where the, the players uh, represent the story of Hamlet's mousetrap and that's done uh, initially we were going to do it in the style of Commedia, and then um, I felt that it needed to be different from the rest of the play. So then we explored working with the conventions of um, Greek chorus and and gesture. And so it's kind of landed there. It's stylized movement, I think, and the purpose of that play is to, to show an example of a king being... Uh, murdered with poison, which of mm. course is the whole point of uh, trying to get Claudius to admit his guilt. So, but that 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 play within a play comes from within Shakespeare's play. Um, Shakespeare uh, had a, a, a dumb show, and then from that point, there was a whole lot of dialogue, and we've kind of taken snippets of the dialogue and the concept of the dumb show and just married them together in a short kind of one to two minute concoction that Claudius interrupts and then it's all done. So that that stylized movement there. I think uh, potentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the the Polonius character we mentioned that is played by multiple different actors, um, there's there's mm-hmm. moments of puppetry where we actually, for, through necessity more than other things, had to find a way um, to use that jacket of Polonius as a symbol for that character is used in a variety of ways. We puppet that character above the set and I voiced that character for a moment backstage um, simply because everybody's on stage and there was no one else to play that character. And with my face makeup, I couldn't don the jacket to wear that. So we do puppeteer that jacket um, to, to symbolise and show that character, which is pretty trippy, yeah. <laughs> pretty out there and for, for it, an audience. I but... think the audience that we had today, though, what they, they really liked the choice that we made when Polonius is stabbed um Sion who's playing Polonius at that time comes out and says I am slain and then she proceeds to kind of go through death throes takes off the jacket lays the jacket down and exits while Hamlet and Gertrude are kind of reacting to now a jacket on the ground and I think there's a moment there of um asking the audience to accept that again that that person, that character is still there, even though the physical being has gone. Mm. Um, 
That's, a, I guess, another one. Yeah. yeah. And that stylistically establishes the climax that you were just talking about, that when yes. people die, they remove clothing and their clothing represents their fallen body. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Consistent yeah. use of that um, convention. Uh, yeah. So we've done the three C's. How about the, the two S's? The uh, space and sound. Um, do you find that you're manipulating those um, throughout the work in, in, in ways that might be interesting to write about for a VCE student audience? Yeah, probably uh, space more than sound, but sound is used. So sound is used, I'll start with that one first because it's uh, the slapstick. So being Commedia, we have aspects of uh, slapstick and, and Lazi in there, you know, running into walls, running into each other. So uh, we have the slapstick. Um, the slapstick sound is used off stage to heighten the reaction of the characters when they run into something, fall over, etc. So that's the actors using the slapstick um, for sound. Um, we have, instead of playing a sound track, which we do at the end, the same piece of music is sung a cappella by one of the actors as she, uh, she is presenting to Hamlet, you know, what, what she can do, what skills they have before he asks, can you put on this play that I want? Um, other sound, uh, the other sounds are really more character vocal sounds that belong to characters. So we don't tend to use a lot of sound in in that sense from the dramatic element point, dramatic element point of view. Um, but the use of space is really varied. Um, the set is a, a, a simple backdrop that stays as it is until the end when it gets you know deconstructed. Uh, there are two elephant stands that are used to create levels and at different moments. Um, we use the stage space in a variety of positions and ways, so there's nothing ever just centred. And coming off the stage too, so uh, coming into the audience, not not interacting with the audience as such, although Ophelia does at the, the end when she goes mad, um, we have our, um, we've, we've established that the grave for Yorick and therefore the grave digger are not in the circus space. So they are outside of that space. Um, in Bendigo, that's on the grassed area in front of the stage. And in Fairfield, that will be in the, the sort of what we would probably call the, the wings of the amphitheatre. So it's not all focused specifically um, on the stage. Um, so again, very much like uh, some of the conventions of Elizabethan theatre where the space is flexible, it's not just a stage space. Um, yeah. I think it ties into the Commedia style as well, um, you know, playing in outdoor spaces. Both of our um, venues are beautiful outdoor spaces, the Garden for the Future in Bendigo and the Fairfield Amphitheatre in Melbourne, um, you know, to, to really pay respect to that traveling nature of Commedia troops that we could basically pack up and set up our set, you know, um, into a trailer and move it to the next, the next town, um, which always been a thing that we've used when we design our sets, basically because like a Commedia troupe, we do have to set up and take down the set every day uh, for our two show days for our season. So um, we, we are, you know, that, that's still very present in, in, in the nature and the way we use those outdoor spaces um, to present our work. And even this week um, we've got, 
a super hot day on Wednesday up here in Bennett's with 38 degrees. So we've actually just today um, had to move venues um, to an indoor venue just to escape the heat to make it bearable for both the performers and the audience. Uh, and we're going to adapt that set and as a traveling troupe would adapt to a new space, you know, mid performance season. So we'll, that's something we're going to have to look at and deal with, um, you know, uh, and not just this time, but, you know, it might be multiple times we have to do that throughout the season. But um, yeah, it's just sort of to keep that idea of we can play this show in any space um, and, and cater it as such. We've brought up the players a few times in this conversation and there's such a you know, beautiful speech or this famous speech by Hamlet where he kind of describes the kind of performance he wants to see from the players where he says, you know, speak the speech and don't, you know, gawp at the words like a town crier and don't saw the air. Um, yes. Is that, is that I know speech? those lines. It's, yeah, it's one, I'm sure, yes, I'm sure. I know that. So speech. sorry for butchering yes. them, Scott. How dare I? I should have no, asked you to present them, but because hold on, do you want to come and do it for us? <laughs> the characters yes. around you are a commedia. You're playing this realistic character, and the play is ancient Greek. How are you? Oh, when well, no, it's ancient Greek, you know they're performing in this ancient Greek style. How are you? Um, I guess, yeah. How do those words make sense in the context of your of the play of this interpretation? Oh, that is something worth seeing. That is just such a gold scene. We love that scene. Um, It started off with um, Scott just saying the lines as he would and we kind of went, okay, he's telling them what to do. Uh, how can we take this somewhere? And how do we um, put it into the circus and world? And how do we put it into the how circus world? world? Yeah. So we had a number of ideas, and the first being that um the we had the idea that the players were coming to seek employment. They're, they're travellers from somewhere else in Europe and they've heard about Circus Belly and they've come to try and get favour so that they could be part of the show. Um, and that got distilled down into they're just passing through and they're kind of good at their craft and, and Hamlet thought wouldn't it be nice to put a little play on for Claudius and Gertrude and stick it right up them. So... <laughs> Um, he then is crafting this play, wanting he's directing this play. So instead of speaking to one player, as the text uh, has, the players keep changing. So he is speaking while these players just keep rotating through and responding to him and then getting away from him and there's a new player there and they're running into each other and they're quite chaotic and, and um, crazy and it's probably one of the most fun scenes in our old Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good fun. Very good fun. Well, that's um, great. That's using all the dramatic elements at once in that moment, potentially. There's lots going on there. Much, yeah. Yeah. You should have just done just that scene. Yeah, yeah. That scene has all the dramatic yeah. elements. Watch that one and pay attention. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. We're up to our last question. Can you believe it? Um, it's very exciting. Uh, this production sounds very, very cool indeed. Uh, but let's talk about some of the, the tech uh, that might be coming into the show or some of those design elements. And we've talked a little bit about how the set has to be transformed and because we need to be able to you know, pack it down and take it to each venue. But how are the production roles such as lighting and set and costume and sound, how are they used symbolically in this performance? Mm. Um, I probably will start with the, the actual set itself. Uh, we wanted something that would represent the world of the circus. Um, so my husband, Greg, has done the design um, as he's helped out with previous shows as well. And it came up with the concept of the circus tent. Um, so it's a facade of a tent, if you like. Um, but then it has to be easily 
set up and pulled down. So we've gone through a number of iterations of, of how that would be put together and how it can be stretched. So we basically have a metal framework that um, canvas, uh, it's calico that's been treated with PVA and water to stiffen it. And it kind of makes the walls. And then we've got a separate piece that sways across the top to give them the image of a circus tent from that era. So initially um, we were talking about doing the sort of red and white stripes that we're all familiar with. And that wasn't kind of conducive to the 1930s and post-depression. And the tents were kind of drab and, and calico and, and canvas and dirty. So that's, we got the calico and then rolled it in the dirt a bit and yeah. <laughs> dragged it around. So the set design is this is the tent and the elephant stands, are, they're there because they would be used in the circus. The way the space is set up is we are actually in what is known as the backyard behind the arena. So on the other side, the side that we can't see, that's the arena. So we established that at the start. And then everything else happens in the privacy of the circus village. So a lot of research was done looking at what it would be like for performers, circus performers to live, and particularly Circus Valley, that was a permanent circus in Copenhagen. Um, they they just kind of lived their own world. They didn't interact with the normal community. They had their own, um, you know, sort of washing and, and way of eating and all the chores that have to be done to run the circus and keep it going. So they were very much uh, a bit of an enclave. So anyone who was a child like Hamlet and Ophelia who have been brought up in circus, that's the only world they've known. So they're a little bit naive about the outside world as well. Um, I think in terms of uh, lighting for the show, it's very basic um, because we're doing both day and night shows and we want to keep a consistency, especially for our students studying the piece. The lighting is, is there's not really much other than a general wash um, for the entire show of a night show. And obviously daytime is whatever sunshine and clouds we get as yes. the weather allows. Um, so there's not really any special lighting effects or anything we've used to enhance the show in any way. It's placing an emphasis on what we have on our set and our performers and the telling of that story without relying on any kind of lighting aspect. Festoon light. We do have the festoon light. We have festoon light. light. Yes. Yes. We that do actually go off light. at the end. They do. Yes. Because you know the light and color has left their world. Yes. Correct. <laughs> correct. Symbol, people. Symbol. There we go. There it is. <laughs> exactly right. Right about the festoon lights and possibly the costume. We've talked to all the way through this conversation about uh, Polonius and other characters when they die, placing their costumes onto the ground. Um, do the costumes? their colour or their design, do they hold any symbolic value in the work? Yeah, they do. Um, in Again, in the style of Commedia and also, you know, just minimalistic poor uh, theatre, each actor has um, like a piece of costume that represents them and they're wearing a base of theatre blacks. Um, we looked into, because Lockie is uh, playing both Claudius and Hamlet's ghostly father uh, and he's using the character of Capitano as the basis of his characters. Um, Capitano is a military man in the Commedia so old Hamlet is uh, his uh, jacket it looks quite military it's navy it's got the epaulets on it it looks kind of like a you know general 
Um, but Claudius, who has now usurped and taken over, he's in your traditional uh, red ringmaster. So red being, you know, that also that fiery, passionate um, kind of colour. Um, and the top hat is used as a reference to, because uh, obviously in the original play, it's about uh, the crown um, and Hamlet, um, old Hamlet, uh, Claudius taking the crown. And so that top hat becomes the the representation of that top hat is the, the, the highest position in the circus. The ringmaster has that um, status and power. So having the top hat is the, is like having the crown if you're in the the court. Mm. Um, uh, Horatio Sion uh, has one item. She has a, a a little. It's like a little tutu. Yeah, a tutu that, and a ruff, all in which, one. Yeah, so she wears yeah. as the tutu for Ophelia. So just, uh, but she's also got some gorgeous black and white striped leggings, which are very circus. So. Uh, she's got. She wears the tutu for Ophelia, and then and flips it up and puts it around her neck, and it represents the kind of rough in the Elizabethan um, style to show Horatio. Mm. Um, uh, Jackie uh, has a beautiful. Uh, it is a like a ringmaster costume. Um, we wanted to give Gertrude power. She doesn't have a lot of power in Shakespeare's play as many of his women didn't and we felt that one of the roles that Gertrude has in the circus is she's a lion tamer so she's kind of not a pushover mm -hmm, absolutely um, and in our research about the circus belly circus belly was originally owned and run by a woman um, in Denmark so we felt that Gertrude kind of needed to have that uh, power which kind of makes her death at the end even more sad because she has been completely duped by Claudius mm. which um for a strong woman is really tough to kind of see that that he's got away with that mm. Mm. Uh, you mentioned that you're wearing makeup in the piece Scott can you talk us a little bit about the makeup design and maybe symbols associated with that yeah well originally in the concept in my head um hamlet was a clown and in that i had this the images that i found for him was with a full face of makeup now that was a concept from the start but then obviously going through the rehearsal process it wasn't until about two weeks ago that we actually trialed some of that face makeup to see what this might look like and it changed things pretty drastically for us uh in terms of how that looks within the whole piece because obviously earlier you mentioned about hamlet sitting outside of that world a little bit um, but ironically, the makeup puts him more into the world, um, but it does serve the purpose of separating him from a lot of the other characters. Um, and just symbolically, that also melts away as the play progresses. So he starts, as Mandy mentioned, we are backstage of, of in the backyard of, of the circus. Uh, and we catch the end of the show for that evening and seeing the characters exit from stage. So he's in his full face, in his full clown getup. Um, and as the play progresses and the, the journey of the show takes place, there is moments where that makeup begins to sort of be smudged and smeared and, and rubbed off in, in heightened moments. So by the end of the play, even that has melted away as well. Um, so there's a, a nice symbolic use of, of, of makeup there, which is an interesting one to talk about potentially. And the masking. So well. the, the fact that the, mm. the makeup is a mask, 
you know, it's a clown mask, but it's also Hamlet's mask. So by the time he reaches the end, he's who he is and he's unapologetic and he knows that he's probably going to go to his death fighting one of the best swordsmen in the world. But he's just kind of like, bring it on. Um, And Mm. by that stage, the the makeup um, has smeared and he's sort of almost become at one with everyone around him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this sounds like the show that people must see. Uh, and they can see it at the moment in Bendigo at the Garden for the Future. And then you're coming down to Melbourne in March uh, to the Fairfield Amphitheatre. So people have to go along and see it, don't they? Absolutely. Yes. Don't so. miss it. So cool. And just a tip for those who haven't joined us before, in Bendigo, um, being at these out, beautiful outdoor spaces, we encourage you to bring um, snacks and drinks, but also uh, rugs and chairs for Bendigo and a, definitely a cushion for Fairfield because you are on stone steps um, so anything to keep your butt comfortable for the romping 100 minutes of show that we have without interval um, is, is highly recommended and encouraged. And there's an absolute convention of uh, Elizabethan Theatre and Commedia. The audience may bring snacks, drinks, um, who knows what will happen when they do, but, yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where they can come and picnic while yes. they enjoy theatre, Yes, which is very civilised. Right, picnics and watching some fabulous performance. Well, thank you so very much for your time today, Mandy and Scott. Thank Thanks you so much for your time, Nick. Really appreciate it. That was great. Sounds awesome. That is all from us at The Aside. Huge thanks to Scott and Mandy for giving us their time. Scott, who I went to uni with, and Mandy, who's been a long-term member of the Drama Victoria community, was fantastic speaking to them about this production. If you want to find out more about Hamlet, a comedia tragedy, you can find a link in the episode description. But it is in Bendigo right now, and it's coming to Melbourne soon as well. That may be all for this episode, but that's not all for The Aside. We have over 400 episodes for you to choose from on all manner of topics related to VCE theatre studies, VCE drama and of course the Vic Carrick and just chats with fantastic creatives so feel free to go through our episode list to find one that piques your interest if you'd like to suggest a future episode topic or if you have a question you want us to answer feel free to email us at asidepodcast at outlook.com or you can just find us on Facebook huge thanks to Haley for letting us record here to Aaron Searle for providing the music to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support and of course thank you for listening we couldn't get here without you and we recently hit 400,000 listens so thank you so very much for your daily occasional and monthly listeners have a great day